Hey there, welcome to the Grace Rancho Weekly Podcast, where our goal is to help you, the church members of Grace Church of Rancho Cucamonga, better understand the what and the why of all we do here as a church. I'm Michael and I'm here with Eric the Durso. wonderful, kind, benevolent Pastor Eric. Thank you. You're welcome. For that introduction. They're more, um, it's more flattery every week. It's like each introduction gets more and more filled with flattery. I'm not sure I appreciate that. It's not flattery. That. Just trying to be a nice guy. Okay. I'll trust your heart. Because you mean flattery in a bad way. Um, so this morning, it's not in the morning, uh, this no. afternoon. <laughs> Monday we, afternoon. Yeah, we are, uh, we're going to talk about church membership. Love it. We, have, we talk about church membership a lot at Grace Rancho. We do, but we have not done a podcast on it. I don't think we have done a podcast on it. Yeah, we looked back. And for the episodes that we've changed the naming standard of, we uh, we haven't done membership. So we probably talked about it before to some extent. Varying degrees. But uh, we're going through the membership class right now. We've been thinking a lot about it. We're actually wondering um if there are some tweaks we need to do to our membership class to make it more effective and so we've been thinking a little bit about it i've been thinking about it and have jot some things down and I, I i thought hey this would be a good thing to talk about on our podcast any listeners um can deepen sharpen their understanding of church membership from a biblical perspective so let's let's do it let's talk about church membership michael all right um we're, I mean, I know where we're going with this, but where do you want to start? What What is the first kind of thing you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about passage of scripture? Do you want to talk about some some general categories? I think it's important to start with the big picture. That's always where I think it's helpful when you kind of lay the get the lay of the land. You take the big, you know, thirty thousand foot perspective, and then you mm-hmm. look, and then you get narrow, 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 and you pinpoint something very specific about what we're going to do here right now at Grace Rancho. So that, that perspective of the, the big perspective, I think is critical and the where and where we get it when it, when it comes to church membership is um, obviously in the scripture specifically, I think Ephesians mm-hmm. is a wonderful place to start when you're talking about what God is doing in the church, just big picture what is the church? In fact, I've had guys that are initially trying to, uh, they want to grow and they're thinking about, you know, church ministry and what that looks like. Um, I tell them, read Ephesians mm-hmm. and begin tracking what God is saying to us about his church in that book. Let Ephesians kind of be this window to see God's huge, glorious redemptive plan um, in the church. And Ephesians, Ephesians will kind of help you there. I, I love that you're pointing out Ephesians too, because most people's minds, when we think of Ephesians, sometimes we think of just chapter one. Okay. And we tie it into like uh, just a God working and it affects me sort of thing, right? We think about like God's sovereignty, right? And salvation. Yeah. And we don't always think about it in relation to the church. But the whole but thing e- really Ephesians is. really is yeah. about that. Just that. So I'm, I'm just glad you're saying that. We're bringing it up. Give us the big picture view. 
So chapter one, as you say, is God's sovereign work. He, the father elects from eternity past, the son redeems by his blood, the spirit seals, um, this full you know, Trinitarian redemption. Uh, chapter two is kind of narrowing in on the individual. Mm -hmm. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. He made you alive in Christ uh, so that you would be prepared for good works. That's kind of the summary of one to 10. And then you got the rest of chapter two, 11 to the end of the chapter is how God has taken these people that he's predestined, elect, he's redeemed, he's made alive, he's indwelt by his spirit, how he makes them one in, in the gospel and he unites them by his spirit. And he uses the metaphor of we are like a temple that the spirit is building, a temple for God. So this idea of being unified, and then it's in chapter three that this, the purpose of why God has done this is revealed mm -hmm. in, in chapter three, verse 10, where he says um, that all this was to show the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Hmm. So what the church is, is this redeemed people, you know, predestined in eternity past, sealed with the spirit, redeemed by the son, brought from death to life, united together in a church. Um, so as to display the glories of the wisdom of God to the whole universe, the spirit realm, angels and demons, yep. as well as all living creatures on earth. So that right there gets you started. Like the church is important, important, almost seems to be an understatement. Like, is there a word more powerful than <laughs> important, like central? It is yeah, like the point of the universe. So, um, you say, well, how does that relate to membership? It's the building block because, and, and that's where you start because now chapter th two, especially, is talking about the unity that Christ creates by his gospel mm. expressed in the church. And then if you just start reading the rest of the New Testament, you start unpacking, you realize that, the, that we are called to very specific relational commitments to real people, real flesh and blood people. And once you start working out what those commitments are, you begin to get the contours of church membership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I agree. I'm glad I was able to persuade you. Thank you. Very persuasive. Um, the real flesh and blood people in front of you. Yes. We have been given- Are important, right? Right. Is, is what you're getting at. As opposed and to the idea that I can just, okay, I'm called to love. Okay. I just love Christians in general. Yeah. I just love Christians, but love needs to be worked out in real life, real time, real space with real people. And so a lot of times we, we walk around and even Christians who go to church, they think of these commands to love and care and be compassionate is just as general commands to be shown toward people whenever they cross their paths. And it seems when you look a little closer that the New Testament's actually calling like real lay down your life type love to a real specific group of people. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and there's, and there's more things we're called to, mm -hmm. right? So let's talk about a few of them. Okay. You mentioned the first one already. Okay. We're called to love one another. We're called so to these love are the another. relational um, commitments we got to make to each other. One is, and this is the primary one to love one another. Mm -hmm. And yeah, first John makes it clear that this is not 
just the kind of love that's general and unspecific. This is the kind of love that sees a brother in need and acts upon it. This is the kind of love that lays down its life for its friends. Um, this is the kind of specific, <laughs> I was going to say specified or specific, uh, specific love for specific people. Um, first Peter two, seven, even kind of emphasize this when he says, you know, you got to honor all people, people honor the emperor, but then he says, love the brotherhood. Like may, there's a particular special love that we should have toward other Christians. Um, I got Galatians six ten open up in my Bible. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Mm. So there's a unique care. There's like oh, there's care, a focus. care for everyone. But yeah, there's a laser focus on those who are in the household of faith. So there's a specific love we're called to uh, pour out for other people. Um, secondly, you'd also see that there's a relational commitment that we make to encourage one another. Mm-hmm. In Hebrews 10, this is probably the most common one that we pull up. Is this, I like this one. Is that, do you have it open right there? No, I almost did. I got it. I got it. I got it. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 tells us that we are to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I always think this is interesting because tied together is the work of encouraging other believers with gathering together. Yep, exactly right. Yeah, Almost as if to say, if you're neglecting the gathering, you're neglecting encouraging other believers. Yeah, because part of the way you encourage a believer is by showing up, by participating. By the sheer virtue of you showing up and participating, you're telling everyone with your actions, this matters. Yes. This is important to me. It should be important to you too. Just by showing up when you sing, you're affirming truth alongside one another, encouraging one another. There. Yeah. And what's what's critical about that point, what you made, is Hebrews 10 is a passage about gathering. It is. So you don't do that with every Christian in the world. You do not. You can't. You do that with a specific group of people. Well, who are they? That's your church. Um, those are the people you are called to encourage. First um, Thessalonians 5 is the idea of encourage one another with these words. Build one another up in these ways. So we're called to love one another. We're called to encourage one another. Here's another one. Um, we are called to guard one another. Mm. And this is the idea of we're prone to wander. We're prone to sin and temptation. We're fallen creatures. And we have an obligation to ensure that we don't drift away. Um, this is the, the idea behind the Hebrew or yeah, the Hebrews 12 passage we have here. Hebrews 12, 15 and 16 says, I'll read it. See that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Um, Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Hebrews. He's talking to the Hebrew church. He's telling them, hey, make sure none of you guys are falling away. And this root of bitterness is growing in you that you get defiled. You start living a life of sin. Don't do that. 
So, okay, if you're a Christian and you read that verse, what do you do? Like, how do you apply that to your <laughs> life? It's like you better know people well enough yeah. to guard them from being uh, taken captive by sin and temptation. And yeah, and this gets to the point of, are you called to do this for every single believer everywhere? A believer you meet at Trader Joe's. Okay, random example. But There's no believers met, that go to Trader Joe's. There are. The severances. Oh, oh that's true. Uh, so you, you just, you run into a believer somewhere. You meet, a, I've met I've met believers random places, right? Because okay. you say something and they pick up on something. And you're like, hey, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. But I'm not called to enter their life in the same way as I'm called to enter particular people's lives, the people I gather with. Mm-hmm. And, and we got Rome, 1 Corinthians 5 put down here. Yes. 1 through 5. It's this kind of very well-known example of sexual immorality in the church. And Paul is writing and he's saying, you need to excommunicate this person. The sin is so heinous. It's so public. It's so unrepentant. This person needs, they, they, you can't, they can't identify Purge as a Christian the evil anymore. from your right? midst. And so what's interesting, he says in verse four, 1 Corinthians 5, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan, for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord, right? This is the ultimate guarding one another. Someone is so lost in sin that you have to excommunicate them so that hopefully they'd be restored, right? So that his spirit would be saved. And what's interesting, he says, do it when you're gathered. Right. And so who are those people? Yeah, is the that people? anyone showing up to church no, on Sunday it, that does it's that? The, it's the local church that you've committed to. Right. And I don't know what other Christians you gather with regularly, but the local church. Yeah, when you gather my name to excommunicate this guy, if if you just try to take that and apply it to just believers in general, like that it just becomes nonsensical. Good luck. It has to be a clearly defined group of people who are responsible to do that. And like, who's that? Okay, so the last one is um, obey your leaders in the Hebrews 13, mm. 17 passage where the Hebrew church is- Who knew Hebrews had so much to do with church membership? Church membership, who would have thunk? It says, I got it right here. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as though who will those who will have to give an account. Um, let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your, obey your leaders. Okay, so go to a random Christian man and read him that verse. It's like, you get, and, are you and, my neighbor? Are you my leader? Yeah. Obey this verse, brother. Go obey this verse. Okay. Well, the only way he's going to know how to do that is to think about the church that he attends. Mm. Because... You're going to just be confused if it's not within the bounds of the local church. Yeah. Is it all leaders everywhere? Is, is it whoever it, led me to Christ? Is it... Yeah. Someone who encouraged me from scripture once. Yeah. Or, or just, you know, any kind of spiritual leader. Uh, what is I, 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 and that word obey is a strong word. Like obey them, like do what they say. Well, and this is the same passage that says for they're giving account for your souls, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're charged to watch over your souls. That's right. And so you have to also ask who are those particular leaders accountable for are accountable to God for watching over your soul. Yeah. The elders of your local church. Okay. So you start, okay. You piece these together. You got these calls to love one another. Not just generally, but specifically. That's right. You've got the same idea of call to encourage those people with whom you're gathering regularly. You got this call to guard. So you want to prevent people from plunging headlong into sin. And if they are 
unrepentantly engaged in sin, um, there comes a point when you need to exclude them from membership. And the mm -hmm. way that's done is in the assembly when the church is assembling. Um, and then you got this idea of obeying your leaders, your specific leaders and the leaders who have specific care for a specific flock, the implications of all this, you say, who are the people I'm to love? Who are the people I'm to encourage? Who are the people I'm to guard? Who are the leaders I'm to obey? And the leaders say, who is the flock I'm accountable to care for? And all of this, all of these things can't just be done willy-nilly, generally. You have to sit and think these things require commitment, right? Yeah. That these, these things, like... You, there has to be an understanding to truly accomplish these things together. Yeah, there ha like yeah. For a leader to know you, for you to know a leader, for you to say, "I'm gonna love you intentionally. I'm going to encourage you intentionally. I'm going to especially guard you intentionally." There has to be consent. There has to be permission. You, in other words, I can't lead someone or disciple someone who's unwilling or not interested at all in me knowing or being in their lives at all. So if they are resistant to me, then I just, uh, how, how can I possibly, you know, care for them? Yep. There's also clarity required here because you need to know if you're going to love someone in this way and especially try to guard someone in this way, you need to know that they're a believer. You, there's got to be some mechanism to say, who are the believers here? Who are the people that have who have been saved by Christ, committed to him, committed to his body, you know, credible profession of faith. Yeah. And that's where Jesus actually gave us two ordinances to clarify who is in the body of Christ, baptism, communion. Mm -hmm. Baptism so, signifying union with Christ, with his body, allegiance to him and entering into the family of God. And the Lord's Supper communi it, it communicates the same thing, but on a regular and repeating basis. Mm -hmm. So we're continually reminding who is in fact who who does belong to christ yep um it's the people who have been baptized and are taking communion regularly that's your church family so the ordinances do mark out and identify so that big ephesians 1 mm -hmm. universal church of the elect from every tongue tribe and nation that god saves are then brought together in unity but then they're marked out by their identification with christ through their baptism once mm -hmm. and their regular repeated communion, um, that, those are then local churches. And those local churches are the ones that are called to love, encourage, guard, and obey, uh, or love, mm -hmm. encourage, and guard one another and obey their leaders. And you, you cannot do any of those things, I think, biblically without understanding that there's an in and there's an out. There's you're part of this group who has committed to these things. Or you're not part of this group who is committed to these things. Right. Um, because from a pastoral perspective, membership is one of the, like, I don't know if one of the is even, it's, it's the most helpful way. Because I do think it's God's way. I think it's the, it's the way that we really truly can shepherd the flock. Yeah. Because <laughs> if I'm going to shepherd the flock, the first question I'm going to ask, if, if God says, Eric, shepherd the flock, the first question I got to ask is, well, who's the flock? Absolutely. If I don't have clarity on that, then I can't do the job at all. Membership through baptism and communion 
And for those who have already been baptized, for them to be welcomed into membership through um, being received by the members, that clarifies who we are to care for. It also clarifies for members who they're responsible to love and encourage and guard. Um, And so membership, it clarifies responsibility for leaders who they're responsible for. It clarifies responsibility for members who they're responsible for. It clarifies who members can trust to learn from. Um, And it clarifies then on the other side, who might be, who's not been vetted, who's not been, um, who, who has not been met with by the elders. If someone has co- is coming in and they're, they're not willing to go into membership, they're not willing to uh, have an interview, they're not willing to sit through a process, they're not willing to meet with elders, um, but they're trying to teach or influence people, um, that could be a problem. Mm-hmm. Membership clarifies who here is is committed to the same things as we are. And I think that's just so helpful as we think about pulling together as a church, right? Towards the glory of God, towards evangelizing people, um, uh, towards honoring him as a whole and in our lives individually. It aids us greatly because now we can say, I'm with you and we're doing this together. And it gives us greater unity because we can say, we're in this together. It's you, it's me, it's him, it's her, and so on down the line. Uh, and it just, I think, allows us to cohesively pull in the same direction. Um, and it aids in the unity of the church even as we commit to these things together. Yeah. And there's clarity about it because we're not just sitting back waiting for someone else to do it. We're not just sitting around wondering who to do it with. We're encouraged even more to accomplish what we're meant to as a church. Correct. Yeah. So for these reasons, um, you know, is a members, I've had the question, is a membership class, you know, mandated in scripture? No. Um, that's, that's helpful. Is the process we've created, um, mandated? No, these are things we've done based on what we understand baptism and communion to be. And, the responsibilities are given to instruct people so that they know what they're getting into. Absolutely. Um, but, but it's, it's, it's not kind of necessary. a discipleship tool. For it's us. absolutely a discipleship tool. That's we want to exa- help you follow Christ. And we think we can do that best as a committed body of believers. Yeah. And we want to help you understand that. Yeah. And, and it is a church strengthening device because everyone who will call themselves a member of Grace Rancho will have gone through that. Mm-hmm. And it does align us on mission and help us understand some of these things. And I suppose that these, like this class wouldn't be necessary in a, if we were in a culture that was different, um, uh, if we were in a culture that was maybe a little more biblically literate, if we were in a culture that had a little more mm. ecclesiology in their bloodstream, we wouldn't need to, to do this. Um, but we live in a consumer culture um, where to be a member of something is like joining, you know, you your Costco membership. And what that means is you get perks yeah. when you show up or you get cash back at the end of the year or whatever. Um, for, uh, for what we're saying is there are biblical responsibilities laid upon every Christian by scripture. Our class is just trying to make it clear that that's the case and then mm-hmm. call our people to that and show them what it looks like. Absolutely. So, 
That's why we have church membership. There's probably more that we could say. Yes. Um, but that's that's an introduction. Jonathan Lehman's little book on church membership, little blue book. Really good. Is really good. And if you have questions on it, it's um, called read it. Church membership. Yeah, by Jonathan Lehman. Um if you want to I'd say read through that with me or Michael or Brian or Mark or Kent and yeah, please get, get some answers. If you got questions about it, that one's not a long book. It's a, it's like a hundred pages and it's like, you know, uh, less than half a sheet of paper. If yeah. you want an even smaller one, we typically have some out on the table in the foyer called why should I join a church? Oh yeah. And you could literally read that in probably 15 minutes. Yeah. If do. you want a quick, it's almost like a couple pages. If you were to type it out. Yeah. Like reading a couple blog articles. Yeah. Super, super fantastic. Both are good. Um, read them. Think about church membership. If you have questions on this, ask an elder. You can talk to me. You can talk to Brian as well. Um, we we want to help answer your questions. We want to help bring you along. We want to help point you to God's word ultimately uh, for the reason that we do things. And so don't hesitate to ask. That's right. All right. See you next time. Yep. Yep.